Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Your tiny Jesus and your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled-up fist pawing. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says, like, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party, too. Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus, like, with giant eagle's wings and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with, like, an angel band. And I'm in the front row. Hey, Cal, why don't you just shut up? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Dear... Eight pound, six ounce, newborn infant Jesus. Don't even know a word yet. Just a little infant, so cuddly, mm. but still omnipotent. Mm. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. 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 Tuxedo shirts and singing lead for Leonard Skinner, right? I mean, does just about anything go when we're talking about Jesus? What? is happening here. That's crazy, right? But you know something? This much is true. No one in history has ever stirred up more controversy than this character, right? No one has ever stirred up as much love or hate. In fact, he's the most controversial person ever to walk the face of this earth. And we're talking, of course, about... No, not Pastor Tim. Jesus, right? Jesus. We're talking tonight about Jesus. And whether you're new here to Liquid or you call Liquid home, I want to welcome you today. My name is Tom. I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at Liquid Church. And you need to know, as I shared with some folks a couple nights ago at a welcome to Liquid, you need to know that Liquid Church is first and foremost a Bible-centered, Christ-focused church church. That's who we are. We, we, we take Jesus, we take God very seriously, not so much ourselves, okay? And, and how, how actually could we not take Jesus seriously? I mean, if nothing else, Jesus's story is so compelling, isn't it? I mean, we're talking about a person that was born over 2,000 years ago in this small rural town to a teenage girl, and he spent the next, the first 30 years of his life living literally in blue-collar anonymity, obscurity, right? In fact, Jesus never even traveled more than a few hundred miles from his birthplace. That's something like the distance between Boston and Washington, D.C. And yet, the influence of Jesus is so massive. We literally measure time by his life. Have you ever thought about that? In other words, our calendars are divided into, into the years before and after his birth, right? B.C., before Christ, and A.D., Anno Domine, which means basically in the year of the Lord. And so our days, literally, they rotate around this figure, Jesus. Speaking of which, Jesus, Jesus, he never even had a political office. 
right? He, he never wrote a book. He, he never went to college. He didn't have a Facebook account. He didn't tweet. He didn't check in on Foursquares. He did none of that stuff. He never even hit the jackpot of reality TV. In fact, he died a penniless man. Without question, Jesus, though, remains the most famous person of all time. Think about it this way. More songs, uh, more songs are sung about Jesus uh, or to Jesus than any other. Uh, more paintings and artwork created for him, uh, inspired by him, and more books are written about him than anyone who has ever lived. There is absolutely no comparison. And so you know what, folks? Say what you want to say. Jesus, he's like sort of a big deal, right? Very few would argue with that fact. But who Jesus really is, now that's where it starts to get a little bit dicey. Because you know something? Many, many say that he was a, like, you know, he was like a good teacher. Or, or like he was like a very moral person, right? Sort of like a Gandhi. Uh, others claim that he was something out of this world. Like, like maybe he was like an angel or like a special prophet. So, so, so from where or, or whom are we to take our cues about who this Jesus really is? Because there are certainly no shortage of opinions, right? Whether we're talking about the cover of Rolling Stones magazine, which recently featured uh, Kanye West wearing this crown of thorns, or, or maybe we're talking about cameos of Christ on shows like South Park, or, or Jesus is my homeboy t-shirts, which, you know, have been sported on the likes of Madonna and Brad Pitt, right? But it's, it's not just pop culture, right? Because religious types, actually, they also chime into this discussion as well, right? For instance, uh, ask any Jehovah's Witness who Jesus is, and they'd answer that he was a created being, sort of like this archangel Michael, right? Mormons would actually say that he's a polygamist and half-brother of Lucifer who actually became a god, one of many gods, very similar to the polytheistic view of Hinduism, right? A Unitarian Universalist would say, oh, no, you know what, Jesus? Jesus is sort of like the incarnation of Mr. Rogers, right? A really nice guy, always says nice things, wants to throw like these huge sleepovers at Never Never Land, just a really nice guy, right? If you're a new age person, then you probably appreciate Tupac Chopra, right? Who said that, quote, I see Christ as a state of consciousness that we can all aspire to. Meanwhile, because of news lately, we all know that Muslims say that Jesus, Jesus isn't a god. He, he's, he's merely a man. He, he's a prophet at that. And, and actually, if you want to get technical, he's actually a step below the prophet Muhammad. So you see, folks, there is no shortage of opinions. But the question I have for you is this. Who do you say Jesus is? It's actually a question that Jesus himself asked some of his own disciples in Matthew chapter 16. Would you turn there with me in your Bibles? Turn to Matthew chapter 16, found on page 681 in your Bibles there on your seats. And in verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 13, we'll see this. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? He's talking about himself. Verse 14, they replied, well, some say John the Baptist. He's like this New Testament guy, right? Others say Elijah, this Old Testament guy. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But now, now watch how he makes this personal, okay? Verse 15, but what about you, he asked? Who do you say that I am? 
right? And, and notice, notice Peter's response here, verse 16. Simon Peter answered, let's read this together. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. In other words, folks, Peter right here was praising Jesus. He was saying, Jesus, you are the Christos. This is Greek for the anointed one. Peter was saying, Jesus, you're the Christos. You're the anointed one. You're the one that we've been waiting for ever since we were kids, ever since we were little 10-year-olds. We've been waiting. Our parents told us about you. You're the one. You're the God. You are the Lord. That word Lord there in Greek is the word kurios, and it's basically like this title for God. It's this title for one who exercises supernatural authority and command in your life. Peter is saying that you're the Lord. Is Jesus Lord of your life? That's the question today. If not, who do you say Jesus is? Do you like consider Jesus basically just another, you know, good historical figure? Someone between like a prophet and, and, and like maybe a philanthropist? Or is he someone much more personal to you, to, to use the language of the Bible, is Jesus Lord of your life? Now, now what's interesting is <laughs> Peter says that he's Lord, and does Jesus deny any of this? No, no. Check out verse 17. Look with me at verse 17 there. It says, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Folks, please, I'm asking you, please, do not miss this. In the midst of Peter actually praising and worshiping Jesus, Jesus, he actually takes it all in stride. In fact, there were numerous times throughout the Gospels, throughout the New Testament, where people literally, they, fall, they literally fall down at the feet of Jesus in worship, in worship. People are falling down in worship of him. And what does Jesus do? Takes it all in stride. He accepts it all. Now, now what kind of a person would actually accept worship from other people, right? You know, there's this world-renowned comparative religion scholar. His name is Huston Smith. And he said that in all of history, there have only been two human beings, two figures, whose lives were so incredible. They are so beautiful. They're so unique that people didn't just ask, who are you? But they asked, what? What are you? Can, Can you guess who those two people were? Take a guess. Let me hear it. Jesus. Yeah. Jesus was one of them. And Gahatma Buddha. Now, now, here's where it gets really interesting because Smith then points out that people were so drawn to these two men and their compassion and their integrity and their wisdom that they impulsively, they just started to worship them. Yet their two responses to this worship from other people were absolutely polar opposites. You see, check this out. Buddha, Buddha said this in response to the worship that he was receiving. Absolutely not. Do not worship me. Oh my goodness. No, no, no. Don't worship. I'm only a man. 
Just, you know, no, don't worship me. Just follow the four noble truths. Follow the eightfold path of truth like I do. But do not worship me. That would be travesty. That would be just, that would be the such the wrong. Do not worship me. But Jesus, not only did Jesus not shy away from claims to be God, but when doubting folks like Thomas, whom I'm named after, right? When doubting folks like Thomas put his finger in Jesus' scars, and then he would break down in worship, crying out, my Lord and my what? What's the word there? God. My Lord and my God. Jesus calmly went about receiving the worship as though it were his own. Now, why is that? Because Jesus is Lord. He alone is worthy of worship. Jesus is Lord. He has authority and control over my life. I'm speaking personally because he is my Lord. And guys, if that's the truth, then I I recognize, I realize, I understand that this is crazy talk to some of you, right? I'll give you an example. I have this one cousin, still alive here, okay? I won't mention his name, but I've got this one cousin who's not a believer. He's actually agnostic, not really atheist, but anyways, really, he's just a great guy. He's a great guy. He's intelligent, you know, he's funny, he's successful, he's good to his family, all that stuff. But we got into this conversation recently, and I just, I totally remember this, where he was just like, Tom, dude, I seriously, I can't understand it. Seriously, I mean, I mean, do you really believe that some guy born and died over 2,000 years ago has something to say about, like, your sex life? Like, like you seriously believe that? Are you trying to tell me that you actually make decisions on like how you spend your money, on, on, on how you raise your kids? Are you trying to tell me that, that you make decisions on, on, on your marriage based on this man, uh, based on like a WWJD? Dude, dude, chill out. He was like a good teacher, okay? I'll grant you that. Okay, he was a great teacher, very moral person. You, 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 we, you know, we need to follow his example. But dude, please do not get all crazy on me talking about his authority in your life. Okay, don't go too far. Do you know what you're starting to sound like here? Right, that's how the conversation went. And honestly, I, let me just be totally honest here. I absolutely get what he's saying. Don't you? I get it. I I get where where he's coming from. But here's the thing. When it comes to Jesus Christ, at least as as far as the scriptures are concerned, when it comes to Jesus, you really only have three choices. Here are the three choices. He's either a diabolical liar because he says that he's God. Or he's like crazy. He's a lunatic a la David Koresh right? Why? Because he claims to be God. Or he is who he claims to be. The third option is that he's Lord. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. 
author C.S. Lewis penned this classic explanation. These are his words and not mine. He says, a man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about this being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Simply put, all throughout the scriptures... The things that Jesus says and does force every single one of us in this room to make a decision. Is he lying? Is he a lunatic? Is he just crazy? Or is he Lord? There there is like no in between. It's one of those three. And and let let me show you another passage in Mark chapter 2 on page 695 in your scriptures. And this illustrates this point so well, these three, these three choices, liar, lunatic, Lord. And do me a huge favor, okay? I just need you to do me a huge, huge favor here. As we turn together to this passage on page 695, I need you to like uh, open up like the right side of your brain, like the creative part, okay? And actually, I'm going to ask you to actually imagine this scene unfolding right in the midst uh, of your eyes, okay? Imagine this unfolding in your mind. The verses right before basically describe how Jesus was going around from town to town. He was preaching, and he was teaching, and he was healing. And so he gets to this one place, Capernaum, and all of a sudden, it is so crowded there, like everyone is following him, and there was so much, uh, so many people there that there wasn't enough room there, not even outside the doors, okay? And so we're picking up in Mark chapter 2, verse three and so then in verse three it says this some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them i'm gonna need real quick four volunteers yeah you guys back there four volunteers. brett come on up brett uh, and i need a, one more volunteer big yeah come on up right okay awesome okay four volunteers okay you guys come on up here let's give him a big hand come on up hurry up don't be shy just run on up come on cisco oh yes awesome nice four guys oh f- four guys uh, uh, Ryan, you, you, you're, you're out. You're out. Sorry, 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 Ryan. You, you, you prayed, so that, that, that was spiritual enough. Okay, awesome. All right, you guys right there, okay? All right, so verse 4 says this. Four guys are carrying a paralytic, okay, carried by four of them. Verse 4, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they, what did they do? They made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. Are you picturing in this in your head? I don't think you are, so we're going to have to help you, okay? Now, all right, guys, you ready for this? Why do you look so angry, dude? Don't be angry. Okay, I'm going to play the part of the paralyzed man. You guys are my buddies, okay? You ready for this? Just, Eric, you still look angry. Okay, so, all right, all right, I'm, I'm the paralyzed man. I need you guys to lift me up here. Lift, Cisco. Careful, careful. I have three daughters. Careful, careful. 
Okay? Now, pretend that we're on the roof. I am the paralyzed man. I cannot move. Okay? I've heard about this Jesus who is a... You got me, man? Who's this healer and this teacher. Okay? He's been going around... You're shaking, Cisco. Okay? He's been going around all this town. And then imagine Jesus is in this room. He's preaching and he's teaching. And then all of a sudden, you see like this hole in the roof of the the place. Right? In the roof of the building. And you see these four mugs. Joel, you're a handsome guy. You see these four faces pop out through the roof okay and then slowly guys i have sciatica okay so very slowly just lower me down towards the crowd there can you imagine this imagine this is happening okay now very carefully jesus is there he's preaching and he's teaching and he's been healing this eric grab a hold dude okay jesus is preaching and he's teaching and the place is so crowded and all of a sudden this hole appears in the middle of the sky in the middle of the ceiling and like this man who's paralyzed he can't move and he's he's heard about this jesus very slowly guys slowly my sciatica sciatica slowly 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 okay all right thanks guys thanks 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 guys okay all right and it's and then all of a sudden he's lowered in the middle oh this is really awkward oh okay all right he's a paralyzed man do you get this he can't move he's just been dropped from the are you understanding this he's just been dropped from the roof okay and, and he's lying there, and he can't move. And obviously, everyone who was, here to, uh, who was there to see and hear Jesus, obviously, they see this man make this grand entrance. And now, all of a sudden, people are craning their necks, and they're looking around, and what, what is going on, right? And what does this man want? What does he want? He's paralyzed. Jesus has been going around preaching, teaching, and healing. What does he want? Say it out loud. What does he want? What does he want? He wants healing. He wants healing. He wants to be healed. He's paralyzed. But let me ask you a question. What is the first thing that Jesus says to this paralyzed man lying on the mat? Look in your Bibles. Everyone look in your Bibles. What is the first thing that Jesus says? Verse 5. What does it say? Son, your sins are forgiven. Not rise up. Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, how do you think this paralyzed man felt when he heard that? What was he after? He was after a physical healing. Friends, please do not miss the irony here. Son, your sin's forgiven. That is the very last thing. That is the very last thing that you'd expect Jesus to say if you're the paralyzed man lying on the mattress. Think of it this way. Jesus takes this perfect setup I mean, this is, this is like an ideal setup. It is a crowded place. There's been buzz. There's been all this hype about, about him coming into town. He has this captivated audience. And what he does is, in this perfect setting, he purposely flips it to reveal something new about himself. See, everyone knew that he could preach and teach. And they certainly knew that he could heal. But now what does he say? Now he says, I have the authority to forgive sins. Now, I just want to pause here for a second because some of you grew up in church. I know what you're thinking. Some of you that, that have grown up in church your whole life, you're like, oh my gosh. Are you serious, Pastor Tom? Are you serious? So like your point here is that Jesus forgives sins. Oh, I didn't know that. Can't we get a little deeper into the word? Right? That's what some of you are thinking, right? Okay, okay, but let's, let's, let's think about this for a second here. What chapter of Mark are we in right now? 
Whoa, chapter 2. Yeah. Yeah, Mark chapter 2. In other words, you and I, when we come to this passage, we tend to read what we already know into it. In other words, you and I have the benefit of over 2,000 years worth of church history, systematic theology, Christian community, life groups, okay? Constantly teaching us and reminding us and showing us that Christ came and died on the cross for us, that he forgives sins. That like becomes old hat to us. We're constantly reminded that Jesus forgives sins, that he died on the cross in Mark chapter 15, by the way. But these people in Mark chapter 2, they had no idea. Are you kidding me? For them, this is all happening in real time for the first time ever. They had no idea that Jesus was going to pull this whole forgiveness card. Because you know what? In the Old Testament, that was only reserved for one person. Who was that? God. Exactly. And so for Jesus, who hasn't come to the cross yet, for Jesus to say, son, your sins are forgiven. That is absolutely craziness. Either that or he's lying straight through his teeth. And so suddenly we understand where the teachers of the law are coming from in the next verse. The teachers of the law, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they tend to get a bad rap from us Christians, don't they? But honestly, I understand where they're coming from. Because check out verse 6, it says this. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? Translation, why all this crazy talk? He must be like a lunatic or something. Or no, 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 maybe, maybe he's blaspheming. Translation, he must be a liar. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Or <laughs> can you take a guess what a third option here might be if it's not liar and lunatic? Yeah. Jesus is neither a liar nor a lunatic. He is Lord. And you see this clearly unfold in the remaining part of the chapter there, in the remaining part of the verses. Look at verse 8. Immediately, Jesus, immediately, (laughs) immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. That sounds like a God power to me. Okay? And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your, sons are, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? I always get really nervous when Jesus starts asking questions, right? Verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, take up your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this so you know what friends c.s lewis was absolutely right you must make your choice either this man is and was god or else a madman or else something even worse liar lunatic or lord and based on what you see here Let me ask you again. No, even better, let's let Jesus ask you himself, who do you 
say that I am. If Christ himself, think about it this way, if Christ himself were to step into this room today, just like right from the roof, right like we just saw right now, if he were to step into this room right at this moment, what would you say? If he asked you, who do you say that I am? Now, folks, as you process through that in the remainder of our time together, I'd like to show you one person's response to that same exact question. Just flip with me in your Bibles toward the end of the same book, right? So we're still in Mark, Mark chapter 14. And now watch this. It's one of my favorite passages. Mark chapter 14, verse 3. While he, this is, we're talking about Jesus. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. I mean, what is happening here, right? What, what's, what's going on? You're, you're, you're like breaking jars and you're like pouring Chanel number five all over Jesus' head, like your dinner guest. What's, what's happening here? This is a little crazy. But what you and I need to understand here is that this was actually, this was actually an extravagant, uh, just, just a heartwarming welcome that you would do towards your guests. You see, in those days, uh, running water and, and, and cute, little, uh, uh, cute little soaps and towels, they, they weren't a commonplace thing. Okay, those weren't household items. And so when this woman comes to Jesus and breaks this jar and pours this expensive perfume on his head, anoints his head with oil, what we're witnessing is a woman who understands that this guest, Jesus Christ, is no ordinary guest. She understands what many people there did not and that, that she understands that, that she is actually in the presence of the Lord. And that no gesture with that in mind could ever possibly be too lavish. But you know something? Not everyone felt that way. Check out verse 4. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It, it could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Can, can, can you just hear it? Can, can you hear that? What are you, crazy? I, I don't know who you think Jesus is, but you just wasted like a year's worth of income. That was, a, that was an expensive bottle, wasn't it? But, but you just wasted it. And folks, that's actually not an exaggeration either. Okay, that jar of expensive perfume literally represented this woman's life savings. You have to understand that that she didn't live in the same day you and I do. There were no like 401ks there. There were no Roth IRAs, okay? No, all her financial security and value, her very identity as a woman was contained in that jar of perfume. Yet what did she do? She poured it all out on Jesus. And others, others mocked her for it. But notice Jesus' response. How did Jesus respond? Verse 6, leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. Verse 8, let's read verse 8 together. She did what? She could. 
She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. And then, then let's read this last verse together. I want us to read this verse together. It is so crucial. It is so important. Verse 9. Let's read this together. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Folks, what is going on here? What's happening? Okay. Uh, of all the miraculous healings, and, and like resurrections from the dead. Why would, why would Jesus take this particular situation, this particular scenario, and say that wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told? Why? Why is that? Have you ever thought about what, what, why? Why would he say something like that? Well, I need you to think of it this way. What is the gospel? In Greek, it's the word euangelion, which simply means the good news. More specifically, it's the good news that the Lord Jesus Christ, not a liar, not a lunatic, but the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, actually paid a sacrifice, that he gave an extremely lavish, wildly expensive gift to each of us. He gave us his life on the cross. That's what the gospel is, right? It's the good news that the Lord Jesus Christ, not a liar, not a lunatic, but that the Lord did a beautiful thing for every single one of us, that he did all that he could do for each of us, that that he took our sin, the penalty of our sin upon himself, That, that he died in our place so that we could be forgiven by a just and holy God. That's the gospel, the euangelion. And, and, and so watch this now, don't miss this. Could it be that the reason that Jesus says, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done, not other stories, not other things that you've seen me do, not other encounters, not other interactions, but wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told. Could it be that the reason why he says this is because this story is the perfect complement to the gospel in other words the gospel is about the lord lavishly giving us the extravagant gift of eternal life through his own poured out blood meanwhile what is this story about this story is about a woman who lavishly gives her life an extravagant gift of her own life in her own right all that she was worth represented in a bottle of perfume poured out for him. See, folks, they are perfect compliments. The gospel and this story about the woman, they're like two sides, the same exact coin. That's what's happening here. The gospel is about Jesus sparing nothing, giving his life for us. This story is about a woman sparing nothing, giving her life for Christ. Why? Because she saw him as Lord. Only the Lord could be worthy of this kind of exchange. And only the Lord would actually initiate this sort of exchange in the first place. And so friends, as we end today's service, let's allow Jesus to penetrate our hearts one more time 
as Jesus asks in his own words, who do you say I am? See, folks, this woman, she had her own answer. And if you're someone who answers that question with, with Lord, I, I say that you are Lord, you are Lord. Or, or like Thomas did, maybe you had some doubts in the beginning, but you know, my Lord and my God. Or, or maybe you're like this woman who, who lavishly offers up her own life in worship. Well, then in just a moment, I'm actually going to release you to one of the communion stations on the sides over there, okay, where you can remember his body where you can remember his blood poured out for you, his blood shed for you, and engage in intimate worship through communion. Do you know that that's actually what communion is? It is a celebration of Christ's lordship in your life, the forgiveness of our sins 100%, and the power and authority of Jesus Christ in our entire life. But maybe, maybe you're someone here today who is hearing this for the first time, And and maybe you're starting to see just now, it just clicked for you. Yeah, oh my gosh, that's that's right. Jesus is not just like an historical figure like George Washington. He's not like just a good guy, and he's not a liar, and he's not a lunatic. Jesus is Lord. Maybe you're starting to see that Jesus is someone, something even, very special, and you want him in your life. You actually know that you need him in your life. Well, then scripture actually says it's as easy as this. Romans 10, 9 says this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is, let's read this word together, Lord. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what is it? You will be saved. Friends, if you've not done that yet, but you know that you need to, if that's you, I'm going to ask you while everyone's receiving communion, I'm going to ask you to meet me here at the cross, right here. And together, you and I will pray. And we will confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And we will ask Jesus Christ, the Savior, who lavishly purchased the gift of eternal life for us already. We're going to ask him to enter your life through the Holy Spirit. Together, we'll confess with our mouths, Jesus is Lord, and you will be saved. Amen? Oh, come on. Do you believe it? Amen? Amen. Awesome. Awesome. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are so good. And I, I need you to forgive me, God, for glazing through your word. Because your word is alive and active. And it penetrates. It divides our heart. It is so sharp. And I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that your word would cut through our hearts right now and reveal to us who you are. I pray for every believer in this place that they would remember you, that they would remember your body broken and your blood poured out like this woman's perfume, your blood poured out lavishly for us. I pray that you would remind every believer of that as they receive communion today. And Father, likewise, I pray for every future brother and sister of mine today. Maybe they are just now starting to see that your son, Jesus Christ, is more than a historical figure. It's way more than a George Washington. It's way more than a philanthropist. It's way more than a prophet. But it is God incarnate. He is God incarnate, and he died for our sins. 
And I pray, Father, if anyone has, has, has believed that, put their trust just like the doubting Thomas in that for the first time, I pray that they would meet me at the cross today. Lord, this is all about you. It's all about Jesus. Thank you for being my Lord. And thank you for being the Lord of so many here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.